0: Welcome to the MS Gym Podcast, where we give you the tools to live life by design, not by diagnosis. I'm your host, Brooke Slick, and here we go. Today, I'll be talking with licensed dietitian Anna Crum, about the role that nutrition plays in the manifestation of MS, as well as how it can assist in reversing or managing your symptoms. In today's part one of a three-part series, Anna who's certified in integrative and functional medical nutrition therapy, holds a master's in dietetics, and is currently working on her second master's in human nutrition and functional medicine. Her involvement in the integrative medicine movement goes beyond the fundamentals of macronutrients, micronutrients, and energy expenditure, and focuses on the full health picture of each individual. Her goal as a practitioner is to heal the whole person physically, mentally, and emotionally through food, vitamins, dietary and or herbal supplements, and other complementary evidence-based treatments as a way to heal the body and prevent disease. Through nutritional immunorestoration, Ana works to restore health and hope to anyone suffering from autoimmune-based ailments. Her clinical experience coupled with her own personal experience as an MS patient, gives her the perspective of a practitioner, but the heart of a patient. Anna's objective is to use targeted nutrition strategies to reverse or manage symptoms and restore health, hope, and vitality to her patients. Please welcome Anna Crum. Hello Anna. thank you so much for coming today. How are you? I'm good, I'm actually quite excited. I am too, believe it or not, excited about diet. And I think a lot of people are excited to hear what you have to say today. Um, We spoke briefly in another conversation and suddenly I wanted to know all about inflammatory diets, which, yeah, I care and I have in the past, but now I really care because you have a kind of a different uh, outlook on anti-inflammatory diets and It's interesting, and it's fresh, and it's just a new look at it, and I want to hear everything you have to say. So I had provided you with a list of questions from our MS Gym members. Tons and tons and tons of questions about diet.
1: The first question that you provided um, was asking of all the diet choices from the MS Gym members, which three would I recommend? Um, Which was my favorite? And if it wasn't on the list to, of course, list it. Okay. However, this is going to be a little bit more in depth than what people are expecting me to say. I'm, I'm not camp walls. I'm not camp McDougal or Swank. It's not as simple as saying this diet works for everybody with this disease there. I wish it was that simple, but everybody is different and your disease process is different. So it's true that everybody needs to clean up their diet. You know, your standard American diet is full of, you know, trans fats and sugars and there's a lot you can do to clean it up, but it is not as simple as taking one diet and sticking with it and thinking you're going to have ultimate success. In the long run, there's so much more that is necessary for that long-term success, and that's very individualized.
0: Okay. What, what mistakes do you think people are making when they choose the right diet for them or what they think is the right diet for them?
1: I think this also goes straight back to cookie cutter approach diet types. What works for somebody else might not work for you. Or even if it is working, like you feel symptomatically improved, let's say you, you know, you adapt, take my, I, I did swank diet. Let's take me for an example. I did swank diet and I felt phenomenal. My symptoms were all gone. It was managed, but my MRI the next year I had a handful of new lesions. So I think the other Misconception is that if you're symptomatically improved, that means your disease is inactive or you're in remission. I don't mm-hmm. think these things are already like always synonymous, right? Disjoint there as well, and that's what I see with all of these questions. Um, I see a population of people who who understand that conventional medicine only goes so far, and they're wanting and willing to do whatever it takes to work best for them. But you're trying things that a friend tried or another patient tried and you're expecting the same results, right? You are unique. So symptomatically and disease state and all of this other, all of the aspects of your life, you are an individual. So expecting to try a diet and comparing results or comparing outcomes to another patient or a group of patients. I think that's where a lot of people trip themselves up and then they're very let down when it doesn't work.
0: What do you say to those people who think that they can cure their MS with a diet?
1: What do you say to that? That is such a controversial term, whether you can, I know, I know disease, or if you can mitigate um, a disease, nutrition has such power to impact the entire condition of the body. Every, every biochemical process is, is run in the body by by nutrition, by cofactors and nutrients, and it's like your gasoline for a car. It's what fuels you. So you can make huge strides with nutrition, but it definitely goes deeper than just a diet. Okay. It goes down to a biochemical level, and that's looking at these different processes in your body, detox, methylation. It's looking at neurotransmitter balance. It's looking at your state of inflammation. It's looking at even digestion. So ingestion does not mean digestion. So what's your nutrient status? Are you actually absorbing those? Um, It looks at the state of your microbiome. It looks at your entire life history. Um, Were you a preemie? Were you breastfed or formula fed? Were you on antibiotics? Did you have food allergies that weren't addressed until too late? Um, It looks at All of these different things, and you have to put all these pieces together to map somebody's bigger clinical picture. It's not just walls diet is going to be the end-all cure-all, or being vegan is going to end-all cure-all. It's how is your body functioning at a biochemical level, and what can you do to support any vulnerabilities.
0: And would you say microbiome? I know that's the buzzword these days. That is microbiome. What did they used to call microbiome for those of us that? don't know what it is
1: or may- microbiome is your GI tract. So your, your gut, yes, it is your gut. It's GI. it's called GIT, which is your gastrointestinal tract. Okay. And the biggest thing that people I guess overlook is we've got a lot of emphasis on mind body medicine. So your mental state affects your, your gut. So if you get really nervous, um, you know, you get you feel like little butterflies in your stomach. Um, and that is, that's valid. However, the communication between your brain and your gut is a bi-directional pathway. And your gut signals your brain over 200 times more than your brain signals your gut. So when we're looking at immune system, we're looking at what triggers an autoimmune disease. A huge driver is in the gut. Your gut forms this, its own immune system. It's called the enteric nervous system. And if you have something like chronic inflammation, if you have a state of, it's called leaky gut, you have intestinal permeability, which means you're, my analogy for that is like, think of a sidewalk and it's paved and then you have all these little cobblestones on the side. And I think of intestinal permeability as you're missing some of those cobblestones. So things are getting in and out, dirt and leaves are getting on the path and vice versa. You don't have that, that layer of protection.
0: Okay.
1: And when that happens, your enteric nervous system Overreacts in this inflammation, start sending all these messages to your brain, and in your brain, there's an, there is an immune system, and that's what triggers this full body autoimmunity. Um, it usually starts in the gut. If we can mitigate the condition of the GI, we can get rid of all these triggers and lower inflammation and keep keep your enteric nervous system intact you're less likely that it will reprogram your central nervous system to start attacking you. So when we look at microbiome and all of what's growing here, that's why we're starting to see things like fecal transplants take off where you have these studies where mice, some mice have their form of MS and then you have other mice that don't and you can, you can transfer the disease back and forth to these mice. Okay from fecal transplant and that is your microbiome because in your microbiome is a whole bunch of bacteria. And although we used to previously assume all bacteria is bad, um, bacteria is actually really important. Um, Over 70% of your immune system is in your gut and these trillions of microbes is what helps program that immune response. So if you have a state of like dysbiosis, if you have a state of, like I said, compromised um, intestinal permeability, that is an instant of where you see your body fall out of balance and you see autoimmune disease arise. Okay. Are there any studies that that speak to what you're telling us? Actually, a lot of studies are starting to come out um, that link autoimmune with GI imbalances. So everybody has different levels of different types of bacteria. And when you get out of balance, there are certain gut bacteria. There's certain types of bacteria that actually cause inflammation. They're not helping you. They're hurting you. So you have these good bacteria and bad bacteria. It's not quite as simple, but, you know, for this conversation, we're going to make it that simple. You have good bacteria and you have bad bacteria. And there's been some studies that actually show where they've taken samples from people with MS and without MS, and they look at the microbiome and there are increases in bad bacteria with MS patients that actually increase the inflammation in your gut and spawning you know, inflammation and auto, autoimmunity. Um, and it also makes a big difference for your genes. The type of bacteria you have can also control your genes. And that's what we refer to as um, epigenetics, that most conditions aren't genetic by nature. It's how your genes are interacting with an environment. And so that's another link that they've been proving is huge in autoimmune disease, especially MS as well. And so treating the gut um, and honestly has been shown to help normalize some of those MS related changes that have been spawned because of dysbiosis or too much bad bacteria.
0: Interesting. Very interesting. So Ana, what types of components of a diet negatively affect your microbiome or your gut?
1: The number one way, at least a huge way, to compromise your gut microbiome is a food allergy. Everybody knows your immediate food allergies. If you're allergic to peanuts and you get anaphylaxis and your throat closes up or your tongue swells, That's an immediate reaction. Delayed allergies or sensitivities are a little bit more under the radar. They're sneaky. But what they do is they are breaking down the lining of your gut. And it's activating your immune system. Um, your, Your immune system starts interpreting these particles as little foreign invaders. And it starts attacking. And then that goes back to the chain reaction of if we upset your enteric nervous system, Eventually your central nervous system and we get into this whole systemic inflammation. So when I'm looking at somebody's diet I'm not looking again at a one-size-fits-all diet Everybody needs to eat this or everybody needs to eat that we're all different Um, food sensitivity testing is Is a one of my top tools. Okay And honestly that leads me to gluten because gluten is one of those things that I do say universally somebody with an autoimmune disease should avoid. Um, as much as we know now, the gut in relation to MS and autoimmune disease, if we look at gluten, what gluten naturally does for anybody, whether they have an autoimmune condition or not, is it opens what we call those tight junctions. So you're looking at an increased permeability in your gut. So those cobblestones are disappearing off the sidewalk when you digest gluten. But for MS, it's even more important because it also increases permeability of your blood brain barrier. Hmm. And that's really big with multiple sclerosis. So when it comes to gluten, that is one of the the few exceptions where I would say if anybody comes to me with an autoimmune disease, I'm taking you off of gluten, At at least until we get into the state of balance. If we can get your body back in balance and you're not symptomatic, then we can look at food sensitivity testing. Do you have genetics that make you more predispositioned for gluten sensitivity, but in a compromised state? in a state of this an autoimmune disease, avoid gluten. So that's an across the board.
0: If you were to do nothing else, if someone out there listening right now, if they were to do nothing else, one tiny step they could take, even though it might seem huge because we eat so
1: much gluten, that's one thing you'd recommend they do. That is one thing I would recommend. I would also say beware. Gluten is also sneaky. It's in so many things. It's a great emulsifier, so it's added to a lot of different products you you might not expect. So that's learning to read labels and all of the names for gluten.
0: Interesting.
1: Some people are sensitive to the point where you have to take it out of their shampoo or their makeup or their lotions because you're still absorbing it that way as well. Some people are not. Again, that that varies from person to person and the degree of sensitivity varies. So Ana, you've told me
0: I should go off of gluten. What would you recommend I be eating not in place of it, but what would you recommend should be part of my diet?
1: For autoimmune disease, an anti-inflammatory diet is pretty crucial. We want to start quilting the flame and minimizing inflammation so we can quiet that immune system response. For an anti-inflammatory diet, that's a pretty, pretty general recommendation. so we're looking at you know your standard American diet being really full of of sugar fats processed foods things that drive inflammation so as a rule of thumb you know limit limiting high high sugar foods actually if you have a high sugar content your immune response is suppressed can be suppressed up to two to four hours after you eat those foods so it's always good to avoid high sugar foods um high fat foods uh especially um saturated fats However, as we delve further into the next session, we'll go into the controversy about fat because it's, fat is villainized. There isn't, it's not as simple as good fat, bad fat. There's a whole array of different fatty acids and how that's playing a role in the pathogenesis of your condition can vary as well. So I wouldn't say to have no fat, but I would say watch your fat. There's a difference between eating a bunch of omega-6s versus omega-3s.
0: Cool. I'm looking forward to that
1: food allergens, like we've said before, that's going to lead to inflammation. It's going to stimulate your immune system. So watching out for food allergens. If you know you're allergic to something, don't eat it, even though it might be tempting. And a lot of people with MS, even myself, and I'm sure you as well, you've played around with foods that yes. you eat and somehow you end up with a symptom and you're like, I'm never eating that food again. Yep. Know your body better. You live with it. And From what I found from my own experience in working with other patients is, you know what triggers you. And so learning to listen to that response and avoid it. Simple sugars and complex carbohydrates are quickly digested. And what those do is they feed bacteria, but it's like an overabundance. So what that does is it promotes that bacterial overgrowth and dysbiosis. So avoiding those refined carbohydrates and simple sugars, um, not getting enough fiber. That's also bad all the way around. Um, it removes toxins from the, from the gut, um, kind of sweeps them all the way through. It cleans your system. And there has been studies that show high fiber diets also, um, can help ameliorate the MS disease process. And usually the EDSS scores, people who are on a higher fiber diet are lower than those who don't get sufficient fiber. So fiber is an important aspect as well. But I shouldn't be getting that from gluten, right? There are other sources of fiber, fruits, vegetables, I mean, all of that, even your low glycemic index grains, um, just not your refined sugar. So if you're going to do rice, not white rice, not, you know, white potato, but do more of like sweet potato, brown rice, your lower glycemic index carbohydrates, but I mean, fiber comes in all sorts of forms. Okay. Vegetables definitely because insufficient phytonutrients, um, also, are a hallmark of autoimmune disease. And that means you just don't have enough of these phytonutrients that help you fight disease. They help you fight inflammation. They help you fight free radicals. And when you don't have the phytonutrients, you don't have this anti-inflammatory cascade. And instead you have an inflammatory cascade. So again, that goes back to fiber and phytonutrients, eat tons of fruits and vegetables. That's, that's a rule of thumb. Anybody can follow exercise exercise. I'm sure as everybody is known for the MS gym, exercise is a really big portion of this as well. Yep. Adipose tissue is inflammatory. And the more you exercise your muscle, the more you're reducing inflammation and you're improving what we call insulin um, sensitivity as well. Interesting. Vitamin D is a huge topic. Oh, yes. D deficiency.
0: Um, Break it down. Break it down, Anna. I want to know about vitamin D. It's a hallmark of
1: MS. We've had something like the Coimbra protocol that the doctor took mega high doses of vitamin D. I'm not recommending this anybody try this without supervision, but took mega doses of vitamin D. And he found success with ameliorating a lot of the MS pathophysiology and patients improved. However, we're going to go deeper into vitamin D as well and I guess some common misconceptions about vitamin D and what level people should be taking on a daily basis, but not getting enough vitamin D. That's everybody's agreeing that plays a role in autoimmune disease. Okay. And that could be sunlight. I mean, you, I you know heat, heat intolerance is the right. beast.
0: It's not everybody's MS2. friend. I, I'm the opposite. I could sit in the hot sun all day long, but when it's cold, I can barely walk. I'm like the tin man.
1: It seems to go either way. Either you have heat sensitivity or cold sensitivity. If you have both, I don't know what to tell you. You got to live in a place that's like 75 degrees, which is, which is hard, but getting enough sun and getting vitamin D is important. Now, how we get vitamin D, we're going to delve deeper into that as well. Right. Back to the fatty acid imbalances. Um, the American diet is high in omega-6s and omega six has excess what's
0: what's an example of an omega-6 fatty acid or fat or
1: omega-6 is most sources have both it's just getting this balance between your epa and dha so sources of omega-3s are going to be your um wild caught fish soy um lagoons uh mushrooms nuts and seeds So what foods are high in omega-6? Omega-6 fats are your processed, your red meats, dairy products, your um, partially hydrogenated oils, um, corn, cottonseed, soy oils. What you want to focus on is more of your omega-3s. That's like your salmon, uh, mackerel, flaxseed, walnuts. It's all about the ratio. And increasing the omega-3 fatty acids and getting this balance from the omega-6 to 3 um, is actually proven to be pretty essential. Uh, one study showed that the dietary intake of omega-3 fatty acids actually reduced quite a few inflammatory markers, such as your C-reactive protein, uh, which I'm sure most of you do know that's usually elevated in a condition that's highly inflammatory. So achieving that healthy lipid balance is going to help well inflammation and reduce your autoimmunity. So Anna,
0: for that person who's sitting out there listening to this interview and thinking to themselves, okay, I, I really want to do X diet or X diet or this diet or that diet. What do you have to say to that person? That person who's looking for that one particular book that has one particular diet in it that everybody else is doing and it's working so well for them. What do you have to say to that person?
1: I honestly believe that people should stop giving merit to a diet based on the name. I wouldn't worry about what the protocol is called or what diet your friend is doing or compare this diet to that diet. I think the building blocks to getting your health back on track is just adopting something that's an anti-inflammatory lifestyle. So let's look at your diet, including more fruits and vegetables. Look at, you know, including the whole grains, look like cement, you know, carbohydrates. If you're doing carbohydrates, if you're eating meat, let's look at plant-based or grass-fed protein sources. Let's make sure you're getting enough fiber. Let's make sure you are being aware of your food sensitivities. And let's make sure you are making, accounting for vitamin and mineral deficiencies, that you are getting enough nutrients in your body. Because as I said before, ingestion doesn't mean the same as absorption. So I think the place to start is just adapting a anti-inflammatory lifestyle, not being so much worried about a diet per se, but making sure that what you are eating is you're eating enough fruits and vegetables. You are varying the rainbow with your fruits and vegetables. You are eating foods that are high in omega-3s for omega-6s, that you're avoiding your refined carbohydrates um, and sodas and juices and things that are high in sugar. That if you're doing whole grains, make sure that they're, you know, your lower glycemic lower glycemic index grains and you have um if you're doing meat that it's plant-based or, or grass-fed, and just varying your diet. So Ana, so far today, you've gotten, given us a lot of interesting
0: information. I know there's a ton of it that I knew nothing about. What do we have to look forward to? I know we're going to delve deeper in part two of this series to why exactly there is no one-size-fits-all diet or MS diet, anti-inflammatory diet, whatever you want to call it. There's no one-size-fits-all. What can we look
1: forward to in part two of this series on MS and diet? Part two is going to get into the nitty-gritty. We're gonna we're gonna dive in and what I'm gonna help you try to understand is, is a whole bunch of more puzzle pieces that they all fit in this bigger picture, and that's looking at the fat controversy. You know, do you need to be low fat? Do you need to include fat and why, your neurotransmitter balance and how that links to your protein status. We're going to be looking at your body's ability to, you know, have successful methylation and detoxification. We're going to look at epigenetics and genomics. These different aspects that are, that vary from individual and what make you, you, and what we need to truly look at to see your full clinical picture.
0: I am so excited. I, I love anything that has to do with epigenetics. So I'm anxious to see what you have to say about that. Anna. I cannot thank you enough for all the information today and taking time out to be with us and looking forward to hear the rest of what you have to say and for all of our listeners to be enlightened by what you have to say, that all the little details of why or why not about uh, an MS diet. So Thank you so much, Anna, and we'll see you on the next episode.
1: Of course, my pleasure.
0: Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you'd like to know more about the MS Gym, you can find them at www.themsgym.com on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you'd like to know more about what I've been up to, you can catch me at www.brookslick.com. Thanks so much, and we'll see you on the next episode.